Hi, this is Eric Nelson, and we're in the downtown Chattanooga Public Library in the studio today, and we're going to talk about uh, music and life and music in my life. Okay, Eric, thank you for coming here, my friend. Absolutely. It's a pleasure. So I'd like for you to start and just tell me a little bit about yourself and uh, where you're from and how you ended up here in Chattanooga. Okay, well, um, I grew up in Dalton, Georgia, which is about a half hour down the road. Um, And I grew up there. I was born in 71, so the 80s were my decade, you know, of uh, musical discovery and starting to play music myself. Um, And I guess the way that I ended up here was um, we had started playing punk rock and underground music, art music, alternative, whatever all the words were being thrown around. Basically just, you know, stuff that wasn't fog hat. I'm going to stop you right there. Mm Mm-hmm. I let's. I want to stay in Dalton. I don't even want to get. Uh, I don't want to get to rock and roll yet. I want you to tell me about growing up. I want you to tell me about your parents. Uh, I want okay. to get to the beginning. I, got you. I want. I want from from way. I want you to go. Let's go way in down the beginning. To, in the beginning. Okay. Way down in the jungle deep. Gotcha. Let's take a walk through the woods. Let's do it. And tell me the story of your sound and how this happened. And okay. tell me about your parents. And tell me about the carpet factory of yeah. the world, Dalton, Georgia. <laughs> That's it. Hit yeah. it. This is Sonically Speaking, and I'm Justin Savage. On this show, we talk to people who have taken a different path in life and find out how they got there. On this episode, we can file under rock slingers. We talk to Mr. Eric Nelson and find out how he came from the carpet capital of the world, Dalton, Georgia, all the way to Rock City, Chattanooga, Tennessee. Yeah, okay, so, yeah, I grew up in Dalton, Georgia. My father was a musician, um professional musician, did a lot of touring and stuff when I was a kid. What was um, his instrument? Uh, he played guitar, keys, fiddle, all kinds of stuff. But uh, back then, he was, I think, primarily playing uh, guitar and keys. And he was in, uh, eventually in the 80s, he ended up in a, a sort of a country rock type of band called The Generals. Uh, they put out a couple of records. But when I was younger, uh, my mom and my dad uh, divorced when I was pretty young. I was with my mom. I mean, I got to see my dad still. Um, that was all okay. But, uh, yeah, I started growing up uh, uh, in the burbs, I guess, uh, of Dalton, Georgia. Um, my mother and I started living with her parents in uh, Dalton, Georgia, close to downtown, close uh, on Crawford Street. Um, and so I was growing up there, going to school. My mother uh, eventually remarried to a guy named Randy. Awesome dude. Super Awesome. We went everywhere, did everything together, um, you know, took all kinds of day trips, lots of hiking, camping. I had that, uh, I had that early 80s burb life for a minute, you know, bicycles all day, Star Wars toys, you know, that business. <laughs> so uh, no, no complaints there. Um, a lot of pizza. but uh, <laughs> You can't go wrong with that. Yeah. So by the time I started to get into my teens, uh, early teens, I was starting to I was always into music because my mother my mother was a a huge influence on my life and uh music really makes her tick still to this day. She's a big music fan. But your father, he you were seeing your father? Yeah, I would and see was him he, was a lot he, of weekends. And he was playing. He was playing. Yeah, he was playing um a lot and I would see him on weekends a lot of times uh my grandmother's house. I'd go over there and stay the weekend. He'd be in town, stay there too. And, you know, and we had a we had time together that way, and uh, 
also a huge influence on me musically because he has a huge record collection. And he would just let me take, you know, 10 albums or something to hang out with. And I would grab any array of stuff, you know, like I remember when I was young, I really liked the sound of Jimi Hendrix guitar. And so I was like, I want to listen to all of those, you know, just sonically the sound of it, I thought was way different <laughs> than most, I guess it still is. But um, that and I started, you know, I'd grab old folk albums and, uh, but I really got into the the psychedelic stuff, like he had a bunch of the old Nuggets and Pebbles comps and the garage type stuff. And uh, that was kind of the stuff that, that lit me up. I was like, ooh, this is good. That and uh, my mother was really into um, um, really singy groups, uh, the the beautiful like British Invasion stuff, mod stuff, and like uh, the Zombies and the Hollies and the Move, you know, like the Move and all this neat neat stuff uh, that had lots of really great singing. So um, a lot of my musical background came from there. And I, I guess I got into punk rock because like uh, um, I started – I don't know. I don't know if this is true or not, but when you're a young teen, I feel like you want something that's sort of extreme, something rocking, or something that's just going to give you this energy, you know? You want something that's your own. Your own, exactly. That's exactly this is, this right. This is mine. This is mine, yeah. That's exactly right. And I feel like that— You don't understand, man. You don't know nothing. Friend, you just need a break. You need a hand on your shoulder. Then fingers in your hair You need to look up And see someone who's seeing you, yeah Someone who sees you standing there And I know that it's been hard And I know that it's been tough And I know that your ship has been out to sea When you see it on the horizon You think good at everything Let down your defenses And show up your whole heart Cause something it is beginning now Something's about to start And the rest of it, my friends Is just the best part The best I want to rock. This is my sound. This is my sound. And I, and I later correlated all these influences, like how, how it all came together. And I, I was drawn to punk rock in the beginning because lots of the bands, no matter what people say, are melodic. There were melodies there that I, w- that I was not finding in other places. Yeah, I liked some metal and stuff. I was an American teenager. Um, I liked metal. I liked hard rock. I liked pop. Minute Work is one of my favorite bands still of all time. Colin Hay is it. but um, And I liked folk. I liked all kinds of stuff. But what I used to do a lot of times, eventually my mother and my stepfather parted ways. Um, and so it was just me and mom again. And we had an apartment in the same neighborhood, though, where I'd been growing up. So I got to stay with all my friends um, that I'd grown up with there. And uh, we started... A band in when did you 1985. When did you first get a guitar? 
Uh, probably, yeah, probably that year. Or like, I think in 1984, my father gave me for Christmas his first guitar, uh, which was a acoustic Kingston. And uh, he taught me some chords. And I remember trying to play on it. It was a little hard. And I was like, I'm never going to be able to do this. I would try chords until my fingers ached, you know. And uh, I was like, there is no way. Like, how do you do that? How do people do this? I'm, it's not for me. I can't do this. But I would find myself going back to it every single day and trying again. And then when I finally did get an electric guitar that was set up pretty good, I laid my fingers across the neck and was like, oh, okay, <laughs> this is cool. I, I don't know if he planned it that way. If he was like, here, learn these chords and how to do it on something hard. I kind of feel like he did. Um, that guitar is still around. It's been through the ringer, but uh, I think Mike Pack has it these days. Were you uh, formally trained? Did you have some lessons besides your dad showing no, you a few chords? No, just, just my dad, yeah. Mel Bay, dad. was he involved at all? What's that? Mel Bay, <laughs> the Mel Bay guitar book, was that involved? Oh, Mel Bay. Yeah. <laughs> no Mel. Um, no, uh, I, I just uh, had learned the chords, and then me and my friend Jimmy, that was uh, my very good friend growing up, we He's still a good friend. I, uh, we don't get to see his, each other as much as I wish we did. He's he's in Dalton. I'm up here, but uh, we still keep in touch. Um, we just started learning guitar together, and that's kind of what we would do on the weekends or whenever. I would stay over at his house, or he'd stay over at my house, and we would just try, 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 listen to all kinds of music, and uh, just uh, try to learn parts of songs and stuff, you know, and uh, uh, we just... Worked it out, and eventually, around the end of 1985, we decided to uh, try to start a band. And uh, that first recording, <laughs> I don't know where it is, but boy, was it something. <laughs> and what was the name of this band? Scrap Iron. That was, uh, yeah, end of 85, early 86. The summer of 86, on July 4th, we played our first public concert. And where was that at? That was at the Dalton Recreation Center for the, the fireworks uh, Celebration for the Fourth of July. What was uh, what was the Dalton scene like as far as tunes or as far as if someone of your age wanting to get involved or go to see some music in town? What was it right. like? Um, it was pretty dark at the time uh, for someone wanting something exciting or new. Um, Dalton, it was a lot of cover bands and bar bands. And explain uh, Dalton a little bit for. Anybody listening who has no idea, I mean, I said the carpet cattle, yeah, and I wasn't right. really being funny about that. I mean, no, it is. Yeah, explain it's... a little bit about Dalton and where it's located yeah. as far as uh, as far as Atlanta, right. uh, Chattanooga, and just paint a picture of the town. Yeah, a okay. Bit, you know? Yeah, um, Dalton was is is um, um, in the northern part of Georgia, um, about thirty minutes from the Tennessee line, and then to the south, uh, Atlanta is about an hour and a half away, eighty-eight miles, um, but. Um, Dalton, uh, at the time, was a very, very working class community, um, very, um, very much involved with the carpet industry. Uh, it is, in fact, the carpet capital of the world. Um, um, there were a lot of big industries there, booming in the 70s and 80s, the 80s being where it was really happening. I mean, uh, pretty much... If you grew up in Dalton, you were going to do some time in a carpet mill or in a carpet situation. There were like carpet, there's a trickle down carpet effect. Uh, uh, I tell you, it was so prominent in the town. You had your big corporations that are carpeting the world, you know, and uh, 
then there were like smaller places that were trying to do big rugs and stuff like that, all the way down to, I remember one time I, I worked at essentially what was a chop shop for carpet. We would go to the parking lots and back alleys of the big corporations at night and grab all of their carpet scraps out of the dumpsters, take them back to this warehouse, cut them down with these circular knives, and then we had sewers that would put edging on them and sell them as rugs. So bootleg. Bootleg rugs for your welcome mat. <laughs> and uh, so uh, every aspect of Dalton is carpeted, if you will. Pretty much all the carpet in the world still comes from there. Um, very working class town, um, low income, a lot of low income places, um, a lot of neighborhoods uh, that people don't really know about on the backside of some of the little mountains there that are, I mean, they look, it's just like nailed together tool sheds. Right. Um, with RVs welded onto it and stuff, you know. So a lot of neighborhoods like that. And, uh, you know, I lived in a couple of places like uh, there's a lot of trailer parks where a lot of the uh, carpet workers live. I've lived in a couple of those. And, you know, I worked carpet. You worked carpet. You worked fast food. Um, I, you know, it was a weird place. But but uh, there, there was a, definitely a, a, a beauty there. Um, um, and something that was happening, I guess, sometimes a, a, sometimes an environment can breed this need for for something more. Um, can bring out uh, creativity, maybe, coming up with your own outlets to do things. We certainly, you know, there's the classic thing. People go, well, we were bored, so we made a band or something. We were like, we're going to make a band because we got no choice. We got we to gotta play music. It breaks my heart, it fills me up with fear It seems the end of this old world is falling near We all these angels fall like tears And you can socio-politically analyze this if you want to I just don't care I want more birthday parties and weddings Cause I'm tired of funerals, so tired of funerals I'm tired of funerals, so tired of funerals We've gotta keep our heads held high And keep their memories alive deep inside We'll sing their songs, and songs about them too That revolution sound still rings so true And you can look for hidden meaning if you want to But it just isn't there I'm tired of funerals, so tired of funerals, I'm tired of funerals. It wasn't like a stop-off venue for people to come in through no. town, like I'm going to play Dalton. No, not at first, not at first, but once we got some bands going, and then, you know, back then there were no venues. We had to kind of fight for spaces, you know, you'd have to like work really hard to get a the back of a game room on a Saturday night where people are probably going to throw stuff at you and you might get chased out. <laughs> like, um, but then, you know, we started trying to get our own spaces. Um, and eventually, eventually what happened was this place, The Wall, which was a skate park, opened. At first it was just a skate, like a little skate shop, one room. You could go in and get your board, 
your wheels, your trucks, whatever. And we're 85 now? Is that where we are? This is, yeah, this is 85, 86. I would say this is the 86 area when the so, wall started getting going. Uh, skating is, skating is yes. hot. Skating's hot, yeah. Skating's hot, and so's, uh, so skating's hot. What else? 86. Rock and roll is hot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, metal sure. is is hot. Metal was the thing, and yeah. punk is still happening. Punk is still happening. Still on the low scene, but yeah, skating right. and punk definitely go hand in hand. Absolutely, and it was they were so married together at that time that when the skate uh, shop came to be, we just started hanging around there, and we would look at Thrasher magazine back when it was still on newsprint and get all over your hands, and we'd look at notes from the underground, which was the old section, and we'd be like ordering demo tapes from these bands. It would be like skate rock from Pasadena or something. And we would hear it and be like, oh, that's really exciting stuff, you know. I liked it because it was melodic. I liked it because it was fast. And, um, you know, and, and a lot of it had something to say, uh, stuff that's still important to this day, stuff that some people have been screaming for years. Right. You know. Um, um, so this was, it was a very tra- transitional and special time because then the wall, instead of just being this little one-room skate shop, it got so popular there were so many of us just hanging out in there on a Saturday or something. It was like shoulder to shoulder. I mean, maybe you'd buy a wheel every now and then, but it was just about hanging out sure. and playing the boombox. Well, that you know? breeds yeah. a scene. I mean, yeah. that, that does something. The scene, know? this culture started to happen, and so they got a big warehouse and uh, built skate ramps, indoor skate park. This happened in about 87, late 87, 88 maybe. And you're still – what was the name of the first band that you had? Um, the first band – well – there was scrap iron way back. Okay, so scrap. So at this point, scrap iron, scrap iron had has been put in the scrap pile, right? Yes, and uh, from the ashes of that was born the aggravated. The aggravated. Yeah, we were the aggravated at this time. Which we played some some hardcore uh, skate punk, and then uh, we also played some really uh, melodic, um, singy, sweet, lovey songs. You know. Now all this time, are you starting to develop? I'm going to develop. That's like a weird word. Are you starting to get your own kind of rock action as far as like you know what you – you're starting to feel comfortable on the guitar. Certainly, And you're yeah. starting to kind of develop your own kind of sound a little bit as far as like what uh, rhythm patterns work for you and like this is okay, this is – Absolutely, absolutely. I uh, I knew that I really liked melody and um, in particular a lot of melodies that came from late 50s and the early 60s outside of the boxy type blues stuff, like throwing in some minors. Like I was digging, digging. Um, I guess that stuff that my mom really liked was was in my head, the Hollies, you know, the Beatles, um, stuff that was getting outside of the box and just the zombies. The zombies was a big one, still is. Um, but I guess I started to think about that stuff, even if it was subconscious, and I was like, I like those kind of melodies, but I like a guitar that, kind of has that zing to it, you know, like a, the crunchy metal stuff was okay. But for me personally, I really like to be able to hear every string, a nice warm ring tone, out. a nice ring out. Letting it breathe. Let it breathe, man. Like a fine rock and roll wine. Okay, yes. so you're feeling pretty good about it. So, yeah. so uh, 86, 87, is that what you said you're at now? Yeah. Like we're, the, what, they're having shows there now? We're starting to have shows, yeah, around 87-ish. And uh, what's the name of the band that you're in at 87? That would have been The Aggravated. Okay, still uh, The Aggravated. Okay. Yeah, I was playing bass in that band, actually. Okay. Um, and we were a three-piece. Were you singing? I was playing bass and singing, okay. yes. And uh, so what happened there was they decided to have a big uh, ramp competition, uh, regional ramp competition. They were like, hey, we should have bands play at this. And uh, 
And it sort of just became a venue because of that. They were like, we should do this. And so they rented a PA and uh, they had the aggravated play and uh, a band from a band from Rome, Georgia called IRS. And they played a lot of covers. Um, neat stuff, though, spanning all kinds of stuff. They did, um, uh, what did they do? They did like an REM song, then they did a Motorhead song, then they did a song by the Cult. <laughs> you know, like they were just, it was fun. It's a good healthy yeah. mix. Right. And um, um, we were playing mostly originals at the time. We did a couple of covers. Um, and uh, and it was just a blast. And a lot of people came. And the owner, she got really stoked about it and was like, hey, we should make this a regular thing. Would you guys like to play, you know, a lot, you know, like any time? And, and so we did. We played there a lot. And we'd started to discover uh, zines like uh, Maximum Rock and Roll. Uh, suburban voice. Um, these, those two in particular, um, we discovered uh, maybe primarily through like um, Thrasher magazine or the tape trade, like uh, these demos and stuff. Um, I don't actually remember how I first got my hands on an MRR. I think it was a kid named Jason that had one. We were skating a ditch. Explain it, it, for anyone who doesn't know what that is. We explain yes, that uh, absolutely. a little bit. Maximum rock and roll was a zine that started, I believe, in the very early. 80s. Based in San Francisco? Based in San Francisco. Um, Larry it, Livermore? Is that who it was? It was uh, Tim Yo. Tim, Tim Yo Hannon. Hannon. Sorry. Yeah. Larry Livermore. Yeah. That's Lookout uh, Records. Lookout Records. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, he wrote for them. Right. Plenty. Um, for sure. Um, yeah, and it was a zine that just grew and grew and uh, actually became globally influential. Mostly, I mean, there were opinion pieces in it, but uh, it also was just a way for people to find other people and to um, uh, order music and from all over the world, uh, all of a sudden. Uh, get free cable. Yeah, <laughs> get free cable, you know, how to scam donuts. Uh. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was important. And, and they uh, it was one of those moments, too, where you, like, you pick one up and you go, oh, we're not alone. The world is open to you. Yes, we're not alone. Like I didn't know what went on outside of this little town. You know? Z, uh, scene report. Scene reports, yeah, from all over. And uh, I guess the a, a big thing was uh, that they came out with a volume in like 89 or 90. I can't remember when the first one came out. I think it was 89. Uh, it was called um, – uh, the, the book was called uh, – it was Maximum Rock and Roll Presents Book Your Own Fucking Life. Um, that changed. I, that was big for that I was think, a, lo- a lot of people that really kind of opened the door uh, and their eyes to you know what could happen. Yes, absolutely. It sure did. Um, it was a state by state listing of that was like the Bible. It was the Bible. Yeah, it was venues in every state, uh, just listings of everything. Uh, people who were like, if your band's in town, you can crash at my house. Uh, it really brought about this feeling of unity at first, of like. Hey, we're all in this together. It's one big couch surf. Let's go. I always see it in your eyes. Something so broken inside. Your smile's so genuine, but you look so tired. You always apologize when I see you out for nothing at all. When you speak, you cover your mouth Often wonder what it was that happened to you in this life Whose horrible hand 
twisted the knife What longing or loss could so burden your mind Then Amy told me that you lost everything one time I heard 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 you lost everything, you lost everything cool because it's um, still in that kind of scene and, and if, especially if you're in a band especially at that point in time right you're on the uh outskirts yes you're you're definitely you know you're, you're not part of the general society no you know? <laughs> true yeah absolutely and uh, i think that that we started putting um dalton ads in that so there was dalton ads in that first one that had like um, the Wall and, you know, some other stuff, but uh, people started to know about it. So bands that had gotten pretty big in this DIY uh, punk rock and underground music scene, uh, bands like Born Against and, uh, um, oh, geez, who all, Lungfish, big DC band, uh, were coming to play Dalton all of a sudden. We were getting these sort of bigger touring bands. Uh, and uh, we would play with all of them and, you know, swap info. There's some crazy... Like hardcore coming up, coming through from the northwest, like Aspirin Feast, um, all kinds of stuff, and some folk from Florida called Naomi's Hair, which I'm still in search of their tape because it rules. Um, it's, it's kind of some folky. Pun- oh, it rem- they reminded me of like the Violent Femmes a little bit, like Fast Violent Femmes. Very good, but uh, yeah, super fun. And uh, so the, the shows started to get big. It, it got really really big and all of a sudden like we had this scene in Dalton Georgia of all places in the late 80s early 90s and it was it was fantastic that we kind of went from there um and book your own life led to what i would consider the cha- the beginning of the chapter of how we all got here doing sure, this sure sure you know? uh, so, so do you have at this point where are you at musically so if we're in the early 90s late 80s yeah. what what band are you in right now so i was in a band called audacity uh, I think we started towards the late 89, which was the year I graduated high school. Um, and you're playing guitar at this point? I'm playing guitar and singing at this point. And, uh, yeah, we, we, we played The Wall. So I transitioned from playing with Aggravated to playing with Audacity at The Wall a lot. And um, we did that. I think Audacity lasted up until about 93, um, beginning of 93 or something. Tor- uh, when did touring kind of start happening for you? We first started going out of town to play like a long weekend or something um, in with Audacity, like was the first times it really traveled out of town to do some shows, uh, which was like a huge deal. Uh, it was like, oh, man, we're going like over 100 miles away to play a show. That was a big deal to me then. Yeah, it still is. I'm like, <laughs> you know, you, you get away from home, you, you leave that safety net behind. I was like, yeah. you know, you leave your everything you know, especially at that point, you're just like, okay, let's go try this. And That's our, the way, I mean. Yeah. For me, if you're going to have a band, you know, yeah. you have to 
get out there. Get out there because, yeah. you know, what's the point of sticking around town and just doing that, you know? Right. You got to make yourself move. Right. You know, Absolutely. That's the way I feel, you know? Me too. Uh, a, a, tr- a very pivotal moment for us was I made a call out of Book Your Own Fucking Life uh, to someone in Savannah. And so Audacity ended up going down to play Savannah and, and hooking up with an old friend. Uh, well, she's, she was an old friend. Her name was Victoria. And we went down and met up with her. She was in a band called Rogue's Gallery at the time. And uh, she, uh, we met up with her. And she found out that we had never been out of town before. That we were just young punks with, you know, no experience as far as being out. And so she totally, like, macked us out, took care of us, became protective of us, bought us food. We stayed at her place. She was A believer. Like, she was a believer, and she was tough as nails, too. That's great. Well, it's yeah. good to have those, especially if you're away from home, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And so that was one of those moments where you go, oh, we're not alone. Like, this is, there might be this family out there type of thing, you know? Um, we got that feel. And uh, then uh, I guess the big phone call was the next one. We decided we wanted to go further. We wanted to play down in Miami. And I called a, a, a gentleman named Chuck Luce, uh Infamous. <laughs> right, uh, Chuck's great. Chuck used to sing for Chickenhead at that time, and uh, and I called Chuck, and we set up a show to go down and play with Audacity. We're going to play a punk picnic, and uh, we and are, these punk picnics now were generator shows that were few of them were in the Everglades. I think most of them were the Everglades. Yeah. There may have been one someplace else, but right. uh, this was kind of. Make your own scene kind of happen and right. then some, you know? Yeah, yeah. Watch out for alligators. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So Chuck, like, uh, we show up down there, and um, I have culture shock in the best way possible. I remember feeling like these people are so free and amazing and, like, nice and giving, and, and they get it. They want to play this music. They're sociopolitically are on point. I don't have to worry about it. <laughs> You know, um, nobody's going to throw a bottle at me. <laughs> right. Um, so, um, yeah, I get there. First thing he says is he goes, yeah, man, welcome to Florida. Like, you want to go dumpster diving? I was like, sure. So we dumpstered a uh, big inflatable shark and took it to a swimming pool and rode around on that. And, nice. Uh, <laughs> um, so Kathleen, I woke up and we were all asleep on a pullout couch. And I overhear her voice on the phone and she goes, how big is it going to be? Oh, no. Okay, well, I've got a band from Georgia here. Maybe they should leave? And I was like, what's going on? She was like, there's like a really big hurricane coming. And so we did leave. Um, And we got caught in some pretty bad mess and uh, just traffic and people trying to gas up. Right. And it was chaos. And and all the food was marked up, uh, price gouging, really sick stuff. But uh, we did make it home, and, and that begins though the connection. That begins with, the connection of Miami right. and uh, Dalton, which is yes. uh, I, I'm going to interject here as far as I I've, I don't know if I met you on that run, but I mean that's definitely that's how I right. know you and how I got to be uh, in Chattanooga. But it's from that m- music connection of Dalton coming all the way to Miami, and Miami having its own wild scene in itself that was you know yes. Yes. Breeding maniacs and rock and roll, <laughs> which has been doing for a long time. Absolutely. But the, somehow this magic 
connection of the sound kind of uh, begins sort of there. You Absolutely. Know? It was uh, the next trip down was, uh, I still count among the most important nights of my life, was uh, coming down. We came back down to play since we didn't get to that time. And that was the time I met. This was the time I met you at the record store. You were working at uh, yesterday, yesterday today today. records. Mm-hmm. The long it used to be the longest independent record store in Miami, right. which was great. Changed my life. That was my rock and roll college. Yeah, and I ain't been the same since. <laughs> Thank goodness. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I came in and asked you for uh, if you had the men they couldn't hang record. Oh yeah, yeah. That's the first thing we talked about. We came down and played this warehouse. Oddly enough, we had been ran out of Florida by Hurricane Andrew. Um, when we came back, we played in a warehouse that had been destroyed by Hurricane Andrew uh, in Kendall. It's a fantastic show, and I met so many people, and I met uh, – there were a lot of Michigan transplants at that time that were down there. Uh, Tom Foote uh, and some other people. He's an old, old friend of mine. Uh, lives here in town now, too. Uh, does a spare change zine. Um, and just a bunch of folks, and so there became this uh, Dalton, Miami – and Lansing, Michigan connection that really paved the way for uh, lots of folks to end up in Chattanooga. So out of uh, – I'm taking you back now. So yeah. you, you're rocking and rolling in Audacity. Yes. You're yeah. back in Dalton. When do you start to get the itch to uh, get out of Dalton and um, um, things start changing and uh, musically changing for you and starting yeah. your next band after that? When, when, does, when do things start to happen for you? Um, I would say like 93 or so. Um, the wall was over. Um, it had uh, succumbed to uh, – Gigi Allen played there, um, and that was kind of that. Once again, can you describe uh, as eloquently as possible uh-huh. Mr. Uh, Gigi Allen for anyone listening who has no idea what Gigi Allen is, G- and it ain't a car part. No. <laughs> Gigi Allen was a uh, – performer that um, played what I guess came to be known as scum rock or something to that effect. Uh, I've heard it called all kinds of stuff. Uh, You know, just uh, the music is pretty much, you know, it's it's not for me, but uh, some people like it. Uh, It kind of entails, it's exactly what the title entails, the really scummy rock. First album is great. Yeah, with the Jabbers. The Jabbers, that's a whole different guy. That's a different story, yeah. Yeah. he had some issues and and uh what was he known for violence 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 and uh defecation uh-huh yeah, yeah stuff like that and he had been very in prison. Fa- very family friendly kind of <laughs> you know scene right uh, yeah i mean it was it wasn't <laughs> police know who Gigi allen is right. like when he's coming to town back then right even dalton police right you know um so they knew they came there they shut it down they drug people away Paddy wagons, they threw people down the street. Gigi got arrested. I was like, this is a shit show, man. Um, (laughs) 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 Quite literally. Um, You know, I didn't want to see him anyway. Um, That's a whole other story. There were discussions, but um, I I felt that it was going to be detrimental, and it was. Right. Um, And, um, but anyway, um, you know, as some people think, that's cool. Not slagging anybody. Sure. Um, that was just what happened there. So that um, was the end of that. That was the end of that. And uh, then some. at that point, we had been going back and forth to Miami and playing, you know, or hanging out. And I uh, started playing in a band called The Schaefers, uh, which was with uh, someone that I met in Miami who had moved up named Michelle. Um, 
we started and with my old buddy Mike Pack and a guy named Nathan Rowe on the drums. And we started um, playing music and decided, yeah, we want to really get on the road, you know, take these tunes out and about. We met a bunch of the Michiganders that had moved to Miami. We really got to meet them in Dalton when they were on tour with some old, like some of our older friends, uh, like Kathleen at this point, uh, uh, was we had known for a minute. And we had, we were getting tapes up from Miami all the time. Los Canadians, Chicken Head, Tri-Rails, um, Creamy Electric Santa, all this stuff. And it had become pretty much what we all listened to. And uh, so this one night played a, played a show with uh, a guy from Dalton, Peter Stubb, um, and uh, the Schaefers, and uh, Kathleen's band at the time, the Gimps, had come to play, and Tom Foote's band at the time, uh, which um, they ended up being the Spawn Sacks, but they may have been the Hookers at that time, um, came to play. And we're all playing this little warehouse that we had out in Tunnel Hill called Lose Country Ruffles. We just kept the name of what it used to be. That was the night. Like other than the the first Miami night where I met all the Miami folks right. and had a little taste of Michigan, this was the night when Michigan, Miami, and Dalton all came together. you moved to Chattanooga? I moved to Chattanooga in 95. Um, and what made you want to move to Chattanooga? Well, a lot of the Michiganders had moved to Dalton, and we were hanging out. Uh, the wall was over. It's getting harder to find places to, A, play shows, and B, to work. Uh, and, you know, at that point, it was just getting hard to be in Dalton for whatever reason. Um, lots of reasons. They, We all had 
couple of big houses together, and we found ourselves just coming to Chattanooga more and more to find places to play, et cetera. Um, so eventually there was enough hassle from police just messing with our house because we were the weirdos. Um, hard to find work, no place to play, and we're like, you know what? We're in Chattanooga all the time anyway. And so everybody just moved up. It was like this mass exodus. Was there a little bit of a scene happening here in Chattanooga that you were aware of anyways? Um, there was some like older stuff that, uh, that I had encountered growing up. Like I'd come up, uh, there was um, um, some bands that had been around, like uh, Unsatisfied was a band that was playing around. We had played with them years ago, and they were still around. St- still around in a form right now, too. Uh, different lineup, but uh, same, same band. I think uh, it's core members still. You know, they've been going on for a while. Um, we didn't really know a lot of people up here, except that there was a place called Club Gemini. Um, and we had come up to play some shows there, and we were really into that. We didn't know a lot of the people that were coming out from up here, but people that we knew from Dalton and Ringel were coming up, and it started to become this thing. And then they decided to have a big uh, punk fest, and... All of our bands and all their incarnations played, um, and uh, my old buddy Forrest, his band played. They were called the Spades, and they just the Spades and the Schaefers kind of were yeah tight, you know yeah for sure yeah that's that heavy at least as far as yeah I was concerned is what I knew like that was like family material that was yeah you know? that's right yeah and so this was a transitional show too because it was the Spades and the Schaefers. But also I was beginning a new band, which I would be in for years and years, called the Jack Palance Band. And it was our first show. And is that, that Club night. Gemini? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I believe that was our very first show. And um, and were people coming from Dalton with you? Yeah. Up here? Yeah. Yep. Mass migration. Yeah. Yeah, it was. And uh, so we got up here. And uh, after we got up here, Gemini was around for a little while. It went under for whatever reason. I'm, I'm not sure. Um, we started to make our own thing. Uh, just uh, tried to find a place to play the way we would always do in Dalton. We just went and asked the nearest uh, bar if they would like to have some crazy rock and roll. And uh, the nearest bar to where we were at the time was called Instant Beer Pleasure. IBP. IBP. So we started um, playing at IBP, and Chris and Angel were the owners, and they were into it. Um, they loved the money, of course, that it brought in, but... They also started to treat us like family. They were very happy to have us there and would take up for us if anything went on. It seemed know. like it was pretty nurturing there a little it bit. It was a nurturing environment, uh, and so that was a, a hub of activity for a while. Um, yeah, and so then everybody started to settle in to different houses. There were a couple of punk houses in town. Uh, the legendary Kirby Street right. came <laughs> a little after that um, in Highland Park, and uh, I lived there for a while. And then when I didn't live there, I still paid the rent for the Morons to live there for a while. The Morons was an incredible band. And they were another band that came up <laughs> from... Yes, they were from Murray County outside of Dalton, like kind of out in the sticks. And these were incredible rockers with big mohawks when yeah, we first met them. <laughs> so what I'm getting at here, I guess maybe saying to you is you're coming up here and you're starting to bring this mass of people... Yeah that are coming from different areas that have been affected by this rock and roll, yes, you know, and something yes. that you're involved with. And, you know, right. these people are still here today. Yes. And uh, at this point, I want to say Miami starts to get involved heavily yes. with being up in Chattanooga. Absolutely. And it's it's a wild thing to see mm-hmm. how many people have come up here right. 
for the tunes. Yes. You know, like my yeah. life is based around rock and roll and, yeah, and yeah. music. Not yeah. just rock and roll, but music, you know what I mean? Right. But from you coming down to Miami, then uh, Miami coming up here. Absolutely, You know, yeah. And then you're reaching all these other people that you know that are coming here as uh-huh. well. So this seems to be a big scene starts happening Absolutely. at this point, you know. It's Absolutely. not just a few people. There's a lot of people it's that are big. involved. It's big. And um, looking at it today, there's still, you know, there's still a lot of us from that time here. And, um, um, I mean, granted, we're, like, shows aren't quite as big as they used to be. And everybody's got stuff going on. And that's fine. But, man, shows were big back then for a minute, you know. I mean, it was uh, we had something going on, and we still do. It's still it's still there. It's still a very special city, um, and a very special bunch of folks here. Um, but uh, when it first came together, yeah, it was people came for the tunes, and 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 stayed and stayed for the camaraderie for sure. Um, it was a a family vibe. Yeah, uh, I mean, you had the tunes, but you also had the potlucks, uh, the porch hangs, weddings, funerals. Everything that goes along with sharing life. Well, I came so, up for a weekend, and I've been here yeah. almost twenty years. Right, you know, <laughs> which I think I think happens quite a bit. You know, <laughs> that was kind of the way I think. You know, I uh, mean, I think I came back from tour and decided to move to Chattanooga that day. Quana, our friend Quana, was like, uh, "Yeah, I got a house up in Chattanooga," and I talked to him on the phone or something. And I was like, "Yeah," I was out of town playing some shows. He's like, "Yeah, you can like crash in it if you want to when you get back." And I was like, "Cool." Moved up, got a barrel at the job, I mean a job at the barrel the first day. The 
the pickle barrel. The pickle barrel. That's yeah. a whole other story into itself. Right. So you're in the Jack Palancement at this time, which yes. was a heavy band as far as uh, you starting to get. Uh, you know, I'll let you speak for yourself, but you're starting to get uh, pretty uh, prolific as a songwriter. And feelings are starting to come out. Sure. And you're starting to say something, maybe. I don't want to put yes. words in your own mouth, but that's what it seems like to me. I think you're that's starting right. to wanting to say something. I, or I, not wanting to. It's just happening. Right. I I, I feel that's a I feel that's a that's correct. Uh I had been playing in the Schaefers and we toured extensively. I wasn't the singer, I was the guitar player and uh we played really fun, fun, fast music, you know. Um and toured all over with the stun guns, um, from Miami. But we um yeah, after that, I kind of became, in the Jack Palance band, the primary lyricist, anyway. And I guess, yeah, I guess there was a lot of stuff coming out. Starting to feel, a, it's, it's weird to find a word for it, but like a a social consciousness, I guess. It had always been there, but like, I really wanted to, just feel like you want to talk sometimes. Well, music is a great people. platform to let that happen. You right. Know? I yeah. mean, there's a microphone on and you got something to say and you want to put a backbeat to it, then there's no better sure. thing than rock and roll and, you know, your feelings. Absolutely. And if people can, like, feel that, if people feel that way too, then it creates this bond and this energy because that's what I'd felt from people growing up. I'd hear something and go, yeah, I know. I believe that too. I've, I've always thought that. And then you hear somebody put it into a song and it resonates with you and suddenly you feel energized and I think comforted at the same time. So yeah, I was kind of getting to that area, you know. So Jack Palance, so uh yeah. Jack Palance kind of I wouldn't say goes away, but you know, you start forming mm-hmm. other bands at this point, right? Sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Started playing in some other bands. Um I was playing in a band called the Driller Killers for a while. Uh, I was playing drums and singing in that band and uh it was fun punk rock mostly about B horror movies and stuff, you know. It's a good time. Uh, rocking tunes, um, but uh, yeah, did that, and uh, then uh, got together with my partner Amy Nelson. Um, we briefly let's shine a light on her. Yeah, we're, we're I want to get to your rock and roll here yeah. soon. So let's. Uh, uh, I mean, I'm not trying to push you, but I want you no, to wherever. talk talk about her for a few minutes. Yeah, and then uh, we're gonna sort of loosely wrap it up because I could bullshit with you for a while. Yeah, but I'm just watching the clock, which let's I do don't want to fucking do. It. do. You direct it. So, yeah, you direct so, yeah. It. Uh, so talk so, about, talk about, talk about meeting Amy. Talk about you know yeah. your love, your passion, <laughs> your fire, and yeah. making music together, and rattle off a just, couple of those bands, and then I'm gonna bring it on home, and we're gonna get you to fucking rock out. Let's, it sounds good. Yeah. Sounds good. All right. <laughs> yeah. So and uh, scene. Yeah, and scene. <laughs> Amy and I had met back at the beginning of the shape days because she actually had delivered our drummer Nathan Rowe to us. Um, she was like, here's this wild drummer. And where was she from? <laughs> she was from the Fort Oglethorpe area. and um, Just another and, satellite kind of city, yeah. you know, based around Chattanooga. Yes, 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 just right down the road. And Amy and I had been friends already for several years, um, see each other now and again and hang out at shows or whatever. We ended up getting together when I was living at Kirby House, 95, 96. I think we got together in 96. Yeah, 96. And... Uh, uh, still together, um, got married, um, started playing in bands together. Um, and she, uh, making we, sweet music with the one that we, you love. Yeah. Yeah. She's the best. She's a daily inspiration and, uh, uh, I give it all up to her. Um, and, but yeah, we started playing music together and that was great. We were in a band called, uh, Forced Vengeance. Um, we put out a record and, uh, Played a lot of shows around town. Um, we were also in a band called Savage Weekend for a little while. Um, we're currently, we, we were in a band called The Dark Rides later. We put out an album in a seven inch. 
and we're currently in a band called Hungry Ghost together. Nice. So we've played music together since we've been together. We've just kept that rolling. So a lot of bands uh, with Amy over the years. Uh, I can't imagine it any other way. And uh, and uh, other bands here and there, but uh, um, the one that really came right after Jack Palance Band was three of the members of Jack Palance Band, uh, me, Mike Pack, and uh, Buddha. And we formed a band called Hidden Spots. And Hidden Spots still plays from time to time. Um, our drummer, Ryan, lives in New Mexico these days, but whenever he gets a chance to come over, we try to get a few practices in, do a couple new songs, play a show or two. Um, it's kind of how we roll these days. But uh, but we had some records out, and uh, we used to play around a lot. We used to go out of town and play and play shows. Every once in a while, we like to grab a New Year's show here when Ryan can make it back, you know, and it works out. But uh, um, this is a very, very special band to me. How much spots. is uh, Dalton and Chattanooga inside of you uh, as, uh-huh. a, as a person in, uh, in your rock and roll? Yeah, it's... Um, it's very much inside. I mean, it's very much inside of me. It's everything. I feel like, like you were saying, get to a point where you just you're saying stuff, and I think it's because, um, like we talked about earlier, you, you really have no choice at some point. It's just coming out, and those being the places that I grew up and had all these experiences, that's what's going to come out. Um, and uh, I was always partial to music that lifted me up, that saved me, and. Uh, and that could be anything from like I remember hearing uh, "Bad Religion," uh, listening to the lyrics of uh, "On Suffer" in like '87, and then uh, "No Control" in like '88 or whatever, and being like, my mind was blown because I was like, "Oh, somebody else feels this way." Powerful stuff. Uh, you get to know yourself playing music too. What makes you tick and what makes you sick, and uh, then you share that with people. Are you in love with rock and roll? Absolutely love rock and roll. Till the day I die, sir. I want to say a big thanks to musician and all-around super rocker, Mr. Eric Nelson, for taking the time here to talking with me. Our show was produced executively by Mr. Charles Allison. We recorded on the second floor of the downtown Chattanooga Public Library. This is Sonically Speaking. I'm Justin Savage reminding you, don't let the flesh fall off the bone.